passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the third edition of the Baseball America Fantasy Summit. Uh, I am your host, Jeff Ponce. Of course, alongside me, as always, is my co-host, Dylan White, our lead fantasy analyst. Uh, This week is a big show. We have two guests. Last week, we had James Anderson on. This week, we have two more of our good friends in the industry. Of course, Eric Cross of FTN Fantasy, Bulls Rotoballer, and Jesse Roach of Baseball Prospectus. So... Some very seasoned veteran rankers here, drafters, fantasy players across a bunch of different formats. They also happen to be partaking in our annual Baseball America magazine uh, mock draft, where it is a uh, 12-team, 30-round startup um, with uh, at least five prospects, sort of based on a 5 by 5 roto uh, scoring, where we swap OBP for average. But how are you guys today? How's it going, Eric? How you been? Doing well, man. Doing well. You know, it's great to have, you know, baseball back in full swing, you know, college back up, pitches and catches are reported. It's a fun time of year. You know, it's like no more, you know, there's that no more lull until, you know, November. We got baseball every day for the next nine, 10 months, whatever it is. So so this is always, this is my favorite time of year. It really is. It's like Christmas. Yeah. Very exciting. How about you, Jesse? I know you're a big college baseball fan, so you must be figuring out how you can get some work done while also watching games throughout the day. We start very early. I know I'm going to be cheering on my good friend uh, Brian Sikowski with Duke. Yeah, <laughs> big Duke guy now. <laughs> oh man, I really wish. Uh, I, if you can't tell, I'm in my bed right now. <laughs> I have uh, a young child, uh, two children, but the youngest came in November, and I start a new job in October. So there's just no, there's no time, no time. <laughs> Thank you, but uh, so you have to pick your pick and choose your battles. So I will be leaning heavily on baseball America and it's outstanding college coverage uh, in the upcoming season. I will try and watch and as much college as I can, but uh, I'm going to be leaning on you, Jeff and your great team. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, obviously we've had a ton of content up on the site at baseball America. You want to dive in now and kind of get a crash course before tomorrow over the weekend. Uh, of course we have Teddy Cahill you know, Peter Flaherty, Carlos Colazzo doing our draft coverage and just, you know, the team in general, we're all very much immersed in the game and what's going on. So that's exciting. Last but not least, Dylan, 
What's going on, man? I didn't give you any extravagant like intro this week. No, like master the Robo Scout, none of that stuff. <laughs> mean event that winner, thing. right? <laughs> like I try to like really build around that and like get really outrageous. So people are sick of it by now. I no, I'm just quiet. I'm in awe of Jesse able to just kind of relax in bed and just knock out a professional <laughs> podcast where I'm like you know flop sweat, anxious about saying the wrong things. Um, no, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It was funny when you're uh, talking to Eric just there about uh, pitchers and catchers reporting. And I was just thinking back how two weeks ago we were doing our our summit podcast and uh, the Corbin Burns trade news broken mm. out today. Kyle Bradish, UCL <laughs> injury, kind of the big news yep. of the baseball world. Yeah, it's tough. That it's was really like tough. Th- those reports. I saw the tweet that you shared with me, obviously, Dylan, from uh, uh, who was it from? I'm forgetting now. Well, Mike Petriello. Uh, yeah, summarizing the yeah. you know the the Baltimore beat, and it was like rough day for Baltimore fans. Yeah, Viseo had you know an elbow issue, though he was catching and hitting, so I was like, well, it couldn't be that bad. And then you had like the Gunnar Henderson thing, which was like, all right, soft tissue injury, that's not a great way to start the season. But then it was like, bam, Kyle Bradish, and you were like, that's a big deal. John Means, I said this to Dylan off off air earlier. I'm not shocked that he's kind of behind. Like that wasn't, yeah. uh, you know, it looked like there was a setback obviously in the playoffs last year, et cetera. And that's never a great way to go into your off season. So yeah, I, I didn't necessarily, I wasn't shocked by that news, but the Braddish one is a big hammer because I think with the acquisition of Burns and the emergence in the second half of Grayson Rodriguez, you were kind of talking about a three headed monster there of like three legitimate, maybe top 20 pitchers like Braddish finished what? Like ninth. 10th, 11th and war, depending on what you're looking at. And was obviously high in fantasy scoring as well, because this is a fantasy based show. So yeah, that, that was a big one. Any other news, Dylan, anything else that, uh, that uh, I might've missed any signings? No, we still have this, the, the reigning NL Cy Young winner just hanging out there on <laughs> February 15th. <laughs> uh, nothing. I, I saw Carlos Rodon touched to 97, apparently reported by uh, SNY. So maybe he's back. That would be good news for, I guess, Rodon fans, of which I am one. I have him on a dynasty team. Um, I know he, he's very good, except, you know, the injury risk. So it's good to see that he's healthy for baseball, not just for my team, but uh, for baseball. Yeah, I think there was a chance, time where he said that his back issues are going to be something that's going to bother him the rest of his career. Grant, we've heard that about, like, by Trout and... You know, I just think it's it's a scary situation with Cars Rodon and of course Kyle Bradish. I mean, that's uh not good. Not good at all. He's how far are y'all going to drop him for dynasty purposes? Obviously, this is a short term hit generally, mm-hmm. but if it's a UCL and he does have to go undergo Tommy John at some point this year, again, that's a massive jump. There is no indication that that's going to happen. Uh, that means he'd be out probably for at least a l- large portion of next year as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the question that Dylan and I are going to have to tackle uh, as we update rankings. And the thing that's tough with some of these these reports too is you hear one thing a, do- a guy does end up pitching, and you know however that goes, or a guy does end up you know having surgery fairly immediately. Um, so it's tough to like you know know when to react necessarily. Sometimes you can move a guy down obviously a little bit. I think ADP wise, especially if you're talking redraft. He's obviously moving down at least 30, 40 spots minimum, I would way, think. Way more. If not. Uh, is my guess, yeah. Yeah, what I, what I, the reports I saw was he had a PRP injection. He's hoping to 
pitch through it. He's going to be on the IL to start, but he's hoping to pitch through it and avoid surgery. Um, I, I think Tanaka might have done that. <laughs> not not much of a track record of people successfully doing that, but uh, I was I was literally going to say the same thing, Dylan. That's uh, we we've seen this. It's easier said than done, obviously, and we want to be hopeful with you know a guy like you know Bradish that he's going to be able to do that. But yeah, we don't really have a lot of people that have done that successfully. And that's, that's the, the tough thing here. And it feels like this last year we were doing with, with the painter, you know, elbow thing. And now Bradish it's yeah. I, uh, you know, that sucks for Baltimore. And I, even though I am a Red Sox fan, it, you know, Baltimore is a fun team. Obviously we, we know like so much young talent there. Like, you know, they were really good last year and you know, adding burns. I'm like, all right, Baltimore's going to be a problem if they start spending money and getting some guys in to mix in with all these young, young talent. And then they have just pop up and, Again, maybe he will be able to pitch through it and he'll be fine. Just a little speed bump. But, yeah, definitely a big blow for them. Absolutely. Um, but you know what? We're here. We're going to talk about this uh, Dynasty mock draft that we got into a little bit. Um, all four of us are participants in this 12-team mock. Last week's uh, guest, uh, James Anderson, is participating as well, as well as several other luminaries from uh, throughout the fantasy industry want to kick it over to the room a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk to our guests first about, you know, your initial first couple of rounds, your build. I know Dylan has been uh, running some of the the rankings based on projections, at least for year one. Um, and you're sort of at different points. Um, I know that Jesse's more of a competing team or Eric, it looks like you're more of a slow build. So I'm going to kick it over to Eric first. I want to hear a little, you know, your build, your start. I'll pull up the draft board here too. So, uh, those at home can take a look at it. Yeah. Now, usually, you know, I, I've always said that there's the three initial draft strategies when now, when soon, when later, you know, I usually never go win later. It's usually one of the first two, but a lot of times you'll be in a draft room and whether it's, you know, 11 other managers or 14 other, whatever, a lot of people are trying to do that same strategy. So I think I usually find myself leaning more towards the win soon where, you know, I'll still build a you know competitive team, uh, in, in year one, like you know, maybe it won't be a championship team, but still competitive. Kind of like in, in Highlander, we've had two years of Highlander. Year one, I was, I think, 10th, 11th or something. I was kind of middle pack. Then year two, I was, you know, up at the top until my team fizzled out near the end of the season. So that's kind of where, you know, that year two and three, that's where I'm really looking to be pretty stout in. And you see, I got, I got some guys that, again, they'll be pretty good this season, like, like Royce Lewis, Grayson Rodriguez. Um, but, you know, if O'Neill Cruz comes into his own you know, this year or next year, Novi Marte, you know, guys like that, you know, Jackson Job, who's going to be, you know, probably debuting later this season. Shane Boz, you know, could have a good year, but, you know, innings probably won't be there until next year, hopefully. That's kind of where I was looking to go is, all right, you know, this team, I think, would still be, you know, competitive in the 12-teamer, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, year one. But then really, you know, if I make some right moves and the guys that I draft, Take that next step, like the Martes and Royce Lewis's, et cetera. I think that could be a really, really good team, you know, years two, three, and beyond, and really looking to build that contender for the long run. Yeah, and I think, you know, when you're talking about a 12-team uh, mock draft, of course, like, it's still, like, it's shallow enough that right. even a team like yours, there's a lot of upside. I think, you know, a pick like Royce Lewis, obviously, projections may not necessarily show the upside that's potentially there, um, you know, with playing time, et cetera. Um, 
Jesse, let's go over to your squad a little bit now. Um, you were picking right after me, so <laughs> there's been a few times where like you've you've definitely sniped me here in the draft. Um, but you know, I think you had a good balance, obviously, of some younger pieces, but upside as well. And projection wise, I think you were third in the league behind Dylan, and then of course number one. Uh, was Jordan Rosen? <laughs> we get all like, surprised that number one, like number two are the ones that are else. wedded to projections. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, um, it was obviously. I think drafting out of the nine spot is just a generally tricky spot in redraft in startups and honestly redrafts, but generally in startup dynasty leagues right now this year. Obviously, every year is very different, uh, but in this this year, I just think it's tricky because there's you're going to miss out on a lot of the top young talent and you're going to have to either get a younger player that has a big risk associated with them like i did with your alvarez or an older player and a lot of those older players regardless of who they are if even mookie bets they have tons of risk still associated with them because they're in their 30s and decline can happen any day which is the real scary part i mean just remember Joey Votto. Not too long ago, he was a superstar, age 33. And then age 44, the cliff occurred. Guess who's in, entering his age 34 season this year is Freddie Freeman. Um, not that there's any indication that that's coming. And I know you drafted Freeman, Jeff. But, uh, you know, it's just it's just scary in my mind trying to, in early in drafts, go with an older option. So I typically... In startups, I typically aim for under 30 and ideally under 27 so that even if there's a step back for that player, they're going to retain their value year to year, um, at least some of them, some of that value. You know, that young players, someone like Jazz Chisholm, for example, had a really bad year last year generally, but he's still quite valuable, valuable for dynasty purposes. And that's my general take. Uh, I After Jordan at one, I went with Ellie. Ellie De La Cruz at two in my second pick. Uh, and Ellie, I'm sure, is going to be one of the most divisive players <laughs> this draft season in all formats, uh, particularly in redraft. And honestly, in redraft, I'm probably not going there just because I do think there's a lot of risk this year with Ellie. In Dynasty, I'm still very, very high on him. You just can't, you can't teach or learn the type of skill and talent he has. It's freakish. You know, he's the fastest player in baseball, period end of story. And, you know, he stole 35 bases in limited action. I think it projects well over 50 bases over a full season. You know, even if he struggles with his approach, with contact, you know, he's going to probably play when he gets in, when, when the Reds are comfortable letting him play. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the power will come, even if he's hitting 220, 230, he's going to hit for power. He will steal bases. He'll have a lot of value, even if that happens. But I really think that there's upside here pretty quickly for over 250 average with over well over 20 home runs and a boatload of soul bases. And early projections are honestly probably a little pessimistic, but he does compare similarly to what we saw from like Bobby Wood Jr. as uh, after his rookie season. That's fair. Dylan, would you chime in here? Uh, what are your thoughts on, on Ellie De La Cruz and uh, what you know, Jesse was just discussing. I definitely agree. I went out and traded for him in a few different dynasty leagues this offseason, including my 30-team league, which is like my my home league that probably gets my most attention. So um, I put my money where my mouth was there. I definitely agree with you. What are your thoughts on that, Dylan? Because I, I, to be honest, I would have gone Ellie, 
if you hadn't picked him there. There was definitely a couple expletives that were shouted. <laughs> and before, I probably would have went Gunner. I, Seager. I probably would have went Gunner if James hadn't taken him ahead of me. So yeah, everyone's uh, sniping. Me too, yeah. <laughs> everyone's sniping each other. So I, I strongly considered him where I took Luis Robert too. Like, I think he's gonna be that good. And people kind of forget like Ellie was on a twenty fifty three pace while you know dealing with the ups and downs of being a rookie and the you know the approach issues everyone likes to bring up. But then again, look go look at the like, the contact rates. Are they great? No. But are they like downright terrible? Also no. You know, like I actually put up a tweet that people didn't like, but his contact rates, it was I, I think I put up like zone contact, contact swinging strike, maybe one or two others, chase whiff, whatever it was. It was like four or five of them compared to his rookie year, compared to Aaron Judge's 2022, they were pretty close. And I wasn't trying to compare the two, as people took it as, but it was to show that yeah. they weren't as bad as people were like were kind of saying they were. So like, yeah, he's got something to work on, but the upside is 35 plus, 50 plus in arguably the best yeah. hitters park in baseball. Yeah, I mean, yeah, go no, look I... at Bobby Wood Jr.'s rookie year. It's so similar. The yeah. data is so similar. We are we are big Ellie fans, so <laughs> totally agree. I think the biggest thing is the chase rate. Just get yeah. down. That's probably the bigger differentiator between him and Judge is just zone miss versus, you know, expanding the zone and missing as well and getting fooled on right. breaking ball and stuff like that. But Dylan, I want to kick it over to you. I was trying to. <laughs> we all chimed in to talk <laughs> yeah. to you. The floor That's is okay. Talk a little bit about your team. And like I said, if you want to chime in on Ellie, uh, you can. We've talked a little bit about him already. Yeah, I mean, Ellie, obviously, this. I'll just quickly talk about Ellie. Ceiling sky high, of course. I think I was actually surprised, Eric, that you didn't take him in the second round. I, I fully, like, I actually wrote him in the spreadsheet, assuming you were <laughs> going to take him there. And it, then we it took was Robert. I sat there for a good five minutes, just like on the fence. Gunner was also in play there. I'm like, it was such a tough decision between Robert, Gunner, and Ellie. But yeah, I, I was very close to doing so, Dylan. And so, like, maybe, maybe the second round is early, but you're not going to get him in the third. So you're, he's not going to make the 30, whatever it is, 33 uh, on the way back. So it's not early at all. Like, it's in the right spot. So maybe he won't be incredible this year but there's a you know reasonable chance that he will maybe he will be Bobby Witt that we saw last year so love that pick um yeah i the way i start dynasties is i like to keep my options open and then somewhere around you know somewhere in the 5th to 10th i like <laughs> uh ultimately most of the time just decide to go for it um cuz as you know as you've been making jokes I, I kind of track it as it goes with with projections just to see how it's going and then i start seeing like opportunities and then i i just can't resist and i hate when i see my team dropping in the rankings as <laughs> every picks are made i'm like oh this is bad um so yeah no i started young tucker um vlad junior camanero in the third which kind of made me think maybe i'm going to be rebuilding cuz um you know he's not maybe going to be a 30 home run guy this year of course um, I wanted Bo Bichette in the fourth, and Jeff, you you uh, you sniped me there. Not happy about that. So I, I went with Pablo Lopez. Kind of, he's a pitcher I like a lot this year, and you know he's relatively young compared to you know other guys like Luis Castillo type of thing. Um, and then I went Adley, I think. And I won't I won't get into it later. I don't want to spoil, but at some point I changed gears and just decided to go for it. So yeah, you know, kind of stay young. Guys who will contribute this year and contribute in multiple years. Um, don't sacrifice one for the other too much yet. Um, and then, you know, look for gaps or look for opportunities in, in how the, the board has fallen. 
my team is uh, very old hitting and young pitching, <laughs> by and large. But to be honest, this is probably what one of my redraft teams would have looked like. 12 team, I just figured it was shallow enough. I could just go down the board, take my guys, and find some prospects uh, toward the end, some younger players uh, as backups, etc. You know, I think some of it was like if this was a 15 team league, I probably would have played it a little bit differently. Um, but that being said, like some of the older guys that I did take, like I, I just like the value generally in all formats this year on Trout. I think like if he's going six round, round, like I'm kind of okay, especially in an OBP format. Yep. Taking the hit there and seeing what happens because he's such a differentiator uh, in OBP formats for sure. Um, so he gets a bump up there. I didn't get my hands on Yandy Diaz. He's another guy that's a little bit older, but I'm confident in. I tend to like older corner guys overall. I know that flies in the face of Trout, but like with Freeman and some of these other guys, they can move to DH. They're in good environments. They're in great lineups. You know, obviously like huge run production. I don't expect Freddie Freeman to steal 20 bases again, but I guess you never know with these new rules, right? Um, <laughs> I doubled up on my on my Dodgers love right there, you know, so I was uh, trying to do something interesting. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything on one website. I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. But we all do our own rankings. Um, you know, all four of us, I know, Dylan and I kind of blend ours together to put them out, but we have individual rankings as well. Um, I'm going to go backwards now. I'm going to go back to Dylan. How much did you stick to your individual rankings versus the group ranking? Because I know for myself, I kind of stick with our blend because I think it gives us a good, gives at least me a good balance of like the guys that I'm really high on and those that like maybe I'm too high on and it tempers those expectations uh, and kind of blends in some of the data and obviously uh, projections, et cetera, that, that you lean on. So 
were you sticking to like your own personal dome projections? Were you using the blend? And then I'll talk to obviously Eric and um, Jesse about this. And I'm going to pull the screen off now too. So a bunch of talking heads. I, I used the blend to start. I had that set up because I want to know who you would like to, since we're sitting beside each other in the in the draft room, so to speak. So I didn't use my personal ranks. Um, funny thing, um, to show how seriously I take these things, I had our list, and then I said it's a 12-team league. You know, we have to take five prospects, so that's 60. So I went down and found the 61st prospect, and I grayed out everyone below that. Did the same thing, like it's one catcher league. So like who's a 13th catcher, gray those out. And then so I have like what the, the player pool is for the draft. Um, that's what I did. Um, I kind of recommend doing something similar, maybe not that uh, <laughs> to that much detail. But obviously we've talked about it last week with James. Know your format, know your league. It's very important. The 13th catcher in this league is worthless because we only need one catcher and 12 teams. So um you know, stuff like that, obvious things like that. And then another thing is our Dynasty 700, and this is where I kind of made the move. Our relief pitchers are a bit lower than you would have in a 12-team league or a 10-team league or an 8-team league because it's kind of, we're trying to find that blend. And because of relief pitchers not having longevity, really, you know, we we account for that in the rankings, having them low. But in a 12-team league, you know, I jumped and I grabbed Edwin Diaz in the 8th, and that's well above our quote-unquote ADP based on our rankings and a uh, closer run ensued after that. And if you look at that, th that's the biggest gap on our Dynasty 700 uh, ranking list is the, the the relief pitchers were pushed way up. So it you know, speaks again to the knowing your league and knowing your format. Well, you also started the reliever run. Went out there, you took Edwin Diaz and like it was just like all heck broke loose. And all of a sudden, I'm in the midst of it, and I'm like, I'm going to have to take a reliever soon. <laughs> so I did. And like you said, I jumped ADP way higher than – or not ADP, but our ranking way higher than I would have. Um, Jesse, I'm going to go back over to, to you. Um, obviously, you have your dynasty rankings over at, at Baseball Prospectus. Are you sticking with those? And I think we'll get into this later. I'm always interested, is there a point where you start to deviate? Because I feel like – Within that top 25, I'm pretty chalk as to, like, what I, I want to do. Um, but it hits a certain point where I'm more, like, groupings. And, like, depending upon what you need, you got to go a different direction. So how do you navigate it when you're using your rankings in the startup? Yeah, I mean, I generally use my rankings for a little while, at the very least. Uh, my rankings at BP that's, that are public-facing are for average-based formats. I do have my own OBP rankings, but they're not final. They're not ready for publication, for example. Uh, so it's uh, I do kind of go by my OBP rankings with the average rankings as a loose guide. You know, there is a substantial difference in player value between average and OBP for many players. A lot of players are fairly static. You know, some people who have like you know, 70 to 80 point differential between average and OBP typically don't really move at all between average and OBP at all. You know, um, and then high average hitters like Freddie Freeman, they actually don't really receive an OBP boost at all either uh, generally. And I think if you look at auction calculator, that kind of on fan graphs, that will, they do a pretty good job of kind of showing you that value difference. So what I, I recommend for everybody if you're doing a draft, a start draft, and you have unique league settings, input that into something like the auction calculator to get a sense of where player valuations vary, because it's going to be different 
depending on your league. For example, in a shallower league, like a 12-team league, like Dylan said, if there's a one-catcher league, all catcher values drop because there's just a lot the, – the replacement value is so much better. So, you know, it, that's – those little things, they will influence rankings throughout. For me, tiers start to get large, larger after about 100 players deep. Uh, and they get really large at around 200 players deep. So, uh, <laughs> you know, there – you could just – at that point, it's sort of just what is your team need? What's your build looking like? Are you trying to win now? Are you trying to you know, focus on players who are going to maintain value over a period of time? It'll change how you draft. And typically in a league like this too, where we only have to draft five prospects, it's a shallower league. And I know a lot of us are fairly confident on, on identifying prospects through waivers and free agency. In startups, I typically wait to draft prospects. And I think a lot of us probably do as well. And as such, you're going to see prospects fall fairly far as well in this mock draft. So you got to just read the room in a lot of ways too. see how people are drafting around you. And you can kind of change your strategy based on that and try and capture falling value better. And we'll talk a little bit about prospect strategy toward the end of the show. But uh, Eric, sort of the same question, of course, you're a guy that does rankings, has for a long time. You know, how do you approach you know, different startups with your rankings, how much are you sticking to them? How much are you deviating? Yeah, it, it's always interesting in, you know, whether it's a real draft or a mock draft like this, when it's people, like, how many drafts have we all done together, whether it's real or mock at this point, like a lot of them, right, over the years. So, you know, knowing the room absolutely is key. But I, I'm kind of roughly where you were saying, Jeff, where, you know, first, you know, first like few rounds, first 25, 30, 40 picks, something like that. I'll stick pretty close to my rankings because at that point, it's not like, you know, I'm not going to get Luis Robert in the next round for the most part. Those guys, they're not going to fall a full, you know, round, round and a half, whatever it might be to your next pick. So then it kind of, you know, if you don't go with your own rank and someone's like, well, you have so-and-so ranked ahead of so-and-so, but you went with that guy, you know, it can lead to some questions about your own ranking. So I kind of say pretty chalk the first, you know, maybe even up towards closer to 50. Um, but after that, definitely you got to, I go read the room more than in the, in the first couple of rounds, because, you know, when you get deeper past 100, past 150, as Jesse mentioned there, the tiers get bigger and there's that better chance that the guy that you might be higher on falls to the next round than it would be in the early rounds. Like just off the top of my head, a prospect I know I'm higher on the most. Jeff, I know you're with me on this one. Chase louder. I have him ranked super high, but I know most people, well, they, most other people still have him ranked high. I could probably wait to draft a guy like the ladder a few a few rounds later. So I'm I do on the try clock to right now, Eric. <laughs> oh, are you? Are you are on the clock. <laughs> don't 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 be taking my boy Chase. All right, <laughs> leave leave Chase for for Jeff or I to take. But, but yeah, no, I, I do. Like I said, you know, finish what I was saying. The uh, you know, as the draft goes on, I try to. I know the guys for the most part that I'm higher on than you know Jeff, James, Jesse, etc. So I, I do tend to be like, all right, I'll wait a little bit as I know I can get that guy a couple of rounds later and I'll go after another position that I need that I know this guy is going to last another couple of rounds. So yeah, it, it definitely, you definitely deviate further and further, you know, just knowing the room and further along in the draft. I'm going to throw a curveball here just because it was something interesting that, uh, that you said, do you guys ever, when you're going into a draft, a startup, for example, um, and it's a real draft, we'll say however deep 20 teams, and you're in there with people who you might know make rankings, 
others where you may not necessarily know who they're reading consistently or who they follow. Do you go out there? I subscribe to like a million different services. So I have access to like everybody's rankings. And when I do that, like I will accumulate like everybody's rankings into a spreadsheet versus mine. Look at differentials, like, you know, the differential in rank, and then also kind of come up with a, a cumulative sort of uh, ADP sort of based off of that at times. I didn't do that for this one because it was a mock and I kind of was just, you know, didn't need to. I was just looking at my own rankings versus the draft room or whatever and, you know, sort of cross-referencing that with some VLOOKUP action. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely try to pull in other people's rankings and get an idea of consensus. Because like in my 30-team, um, you know, long-time dynasty league, we just finished our, our FYPD and it goes 300 picks deep. And there's certain players where like, I know they're reading Eric or I know they're reading Chris Clegg or Jesse or James Anderson, you know, and it's pretty clear, like, all right, I can look at James's like, you know, whatever, link up with his rankings and be like, all right, this is where so-and-so is going to go next round. It's going to be one of these three guys. And quite often that's kind of the case. So um, I think it's something that if you're a consumer of content too, you can do that. Cause a lot, I'm sure a lot of you that are out there are subscribing to multiple different sites and services, et cetera. You can accumulate that in your own spreadsheets and Google sheets and, you know, figure all that stuff out. Um, I think that's a great strategy. I 100% recommend that. And I think it's particularly interesting when you're in these leagues with these people and uh, sending offers to James Anderson that you know he's going to accept because you know he ranks one player way ahead of the other one. So you know it's like a lock. And he, I know he does that too, to all of us. And uh, I think the thing that really tickles and ir irks me the most is these leagues where they're co-managers or co-rankers in real life with you and with Jeff and Dylan. I can't get a clear read on you, Jeff, in our leagues. I can't get a clear read on who you value because you combine your rankings with Dylan. <laughs> but yeah, co-managers. I know that James is co-managing uh, with Eno Saris in Devil's Rejects, and he keeps rejecting a trade that I've been sending him and adding to my side. He keeps rejecting it. It's Will Benson, who I know he loves, and I have. And he keeps rejecting it, and it's ticking me off. <laughs> it's probably Eno. Eno's the one who's doing it all. There you go. <laughs> Ellen, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about that in terms of you obviously do a variety of different drafts. Um, how much of trying to sort of read the room ahead of time and have an idea of like what type of players your opponents like, et cetera, is something that goes into it for you. I'm sure that there's times you obviously can't figure that out, but you know, you obviously are the main, the reigning main co-manager co main event winner. So. I mean, it's huge. It's, it's, you're trying to find every edge you can get in fantasy. Um, Every little advantage you can get is going to be helpful because the floor of fantasy players is so high now. There's so much content. There's so much great content. Um, things that were like maybe something that you thought you knew that no one else knew. Like everyone knows that now um, type of thing. And so it's very hard to find any edges or any margin. So anytime you can, if, if you know that someone uses a certain set of rankings you got to, it's not take advantage. I mean, they, they like those rankings. You're not, you're not cheating, but uh, you know, you, you take advantage to see how that fits your, your build and your roster and, and uh, your strategy. So if you know your, your opponent's tendencies and you know how they, they rate people, rank people, you can, you know, optimize accordingly. So definitely huge for me. 
I mean, I, I co-manage a, a, an FBC team with Jordan Rosenblum as well. So I know his tendencies. I know he's very projection based. I know, like, you know, we share a lot of similar players that we like. I kind of know how the draft's going to go. I, I made a joke earlier um, in this draft. I'm like, hey, you're up. So uh, I assume you're taking Rodon and DeGrom. <laughs> and he ended up taking Rodon. And uh, I can't remember who the other one was. It wasn't DeGrom at that point. But it's like, if you know the tendencies, it can kind of help, you know, shape the, the way you play the game. I'm surprised Jordan will do NFBC leagues because there's no trading in NFBC. Because we all know Jordan <laughs> loves him a good trade and many of them. I traded him Carlos Rodon this year. There so there go. you go. <laughs> yes. Uh, shout out to Jordan uh, in what, Finland right now. It's what, 2.30, almost 3 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, right? Something, something like that. Something like that. So, you know. I'm sure he's getting his Z's in right now. Or sending trade offers uh, in Highlander. That's that's possible. Do, do you well. think he ever dreams about sending trade offers? Oh, yeah. Uh, probably. <laughs> probably. D- Dylan, weigh in on that one. You probably have some insight. Has, has he ever talked about, like, subconscious trade offers, dreams, <laughs> night trades almost? like night. <laughs> I don't want to violate the uh, co-managing privilege that we have <laughs> by revealing too much. <laughs> <laughs> so um i want to i want to go into our sort of final topic here um i think this is interesting because it's going to depend obviously upon the size of the league so let's forget about the mock here for a second where it's 12 teams and it's uh 30 rounds in a 20 team league startup draft where let's say you know there's a minor league setup there's some incentive with prospects to you know call them up um what's your prospect strategy like eric in a league like that 20 teams you know let's say there's 400 500 prospects rostered you know after the draft is or all done and the dust is settled um are you you're going to attack it differently than you are in a 12 team league but in a league like that where prospect capital is probably a little bit more valuable when are you going to start to go after some of those top talents and some of those back end of the 100 guys, where do those guys end up falling sort of in, in your strategy? Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely different the, the deeper you get because obviously you can take a lot more risks when, when you're in a shallow league because, you know, the, the re- replacement value is so much higher, obviously. But I've always tried to, you know, I always, my analogy always is you look at the, uh, the movie Shrek when he says onions have layers. I like to say prospects have layers, at least on my team. I like to layer my prospects in a way where, I always have, you know, I have some that are contributing right now, like your your Colt Keith types, your Jackson Cheerio types, guys that are going to impact me right away. And then I'll have some other guys that are maybe, you know, later this year, you know, Jackson Job types that are impact me soon. And then you mix in, you know, I'll sprinkle in the guys like Joendry Vargas and Sebastian Walcott that are, you know, a couple years down the road. But I, I think that's important to have too because, you know, once, you know, and if you do it right, you know, once you're you're close to ready, guys are coming up contributing for you. You know, those guys like Walcott, Vargas, etc. They're getting closer, and then they become the that next group that come up for you. And then you can, you know, if you if you have confidence in your own ability to you know find prospects, and especially those those deeper you know guys like the DSL pop ups and guys like that, then you can still kind of replenish that last layer of your prospect system. So that that's always kind of been the way I go about it. But yeah, it's definitely, you know, get, getting that prospect capital, especially when you have a deeper prospect pool, you know, having at least some, you know, 
good core there, I think is crucial, whether it's for the reason of you're, all right, I'm just going to get these guys that are come up and help me, or you're using them as trade capital, right? Because obviously prospects really have two different, you know, paths, so to speak, in, in fantasy. Again, you can use them for your own team, or you can use them to go trade and get that piece. It can be a throw-in or whatever to get that win that piece that you need. So I think always having some sort of prospect core um, that you can use is is pretty crucial. And same question over to you, Jesse. Uh, you know, a 20-team league where there's a lot more prospects rostered, you know, how early are you going after some of the top guys? I'll throw the same over to Dylan, and then we'll talk a little bit about the prospects that were taken in the 12-team and what the order was. Yeah, I think it really depends on how I'm attacking the draft. I think if I'm if I'm trying to build a team that's designed to win soonish, I'm probably not going prospects for a long time. And I am completely comfortable waiting on prospects and startup drafts because I feel very confident in identifying them on waivers. And I think if you're if you're subscribing to Baseball America and to our websites, you should also feel that kind of confidence. I don't think you have to draft prospects early, but of course, you know, if a if the value is just too good to to pass up, I will take a prospect, uh, regardless of where it is in the draft. You know, if someone like Jackson Chirio falls to like fifty, I mean, I'm not going to let him fall farther. If 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 that's where I'm picking at, you know, it's it's really about where the value is and how good it is because. I really do place a lot of value on winning very quickly. And uh, because for one, dynasty leagues are not at all guaranteed to last. Uh, even what those that are built for that purpose, something so a league like Highlander, which has a lot of rules in place to try and allow that league to last, create parity. Um, and I'll just give a one more plug to, to Highlander and leagues like it. You should use poacher drafts in dynasty leagues. Poacher drafts are fantastic ways to rep- to kind of create enforced parity, create off-season activity in trading, you know, well ahead of like a preseason draft. Uh, it gives teams that are trying to rebuild a quicker avenue to do it rather than having to rely exclusively on like a first-year player draft. And I just think it it's just more fun. You still it's still a dynasty league in, by all intents and purposes. I wouldn't even consider you know, adding a poacher draft doesn't turn it into like a keeper league or a dynasty hybrid. I think it's still a dynasty league, uh, but I'd recommend it. But that's off, off topic here. <laughs> I think generally with prospects in Highlander, for example, I did not draft any prospects until the last like five, round, 10 round, five rounds, something like that. Mm-hmm. I just didn't. And I just don't see the point generally. But again, if the value is right, I will totally draft prospects. Yeah, there were players that in a more standard format, I obviously would have protected. Um that I didn't because I just sort of felt like you're better off trying to like go for it. And you're only going to have so many players you can keep. I had enough prospects that were coming up and young players that I would acquire, you know, throughout the draft. And yeah, I don't think I drafted a prospect until this most recent round when I took Colt Emerson for a good chunk of my team at this point is kind of already built. And it's just a matter of filling in some other pieces. I don't think I'm going to compete this year, but it's going to be better than being at the bottom. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think obviously the trade off. Yeah, I think three team leagues, for example, where you are having a boatload of prospects yeah. uh, rostered, are super fun and fascinating. If you can find thirty players that are dedicated to fill out a three team league, they're great. I'd recommend them. I'm in only one, and uh, I, it's a it's a lot of fun. It really yeah. forces you to dig 
really deep uh, to try and find prospects and get in on them early. I mean, we already are doing that, but uh, I think it just provides a little bit more incentive to to do it. And I, I, yeah, those leagues, again, you know, I really do like just waiting. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. But Dylan, same to you. I know you're another guy that um, use prospects very much. I know you say this a lot in our shows as currency, as trade currency to go out there and acquire more pieces. So you're always sort of flipping, going out and getting them. That's, I'm sure, one of the reasons uh, the genesis of RoboScout was going out and trying to find those unheralded players. So how are you approaching in a deeper draft, a 20-team league? How would you approach the prospect side of things? Yeah, I think my default is kind of like the way Jesse was saying. Like, I'm confident in my ability to get prospects, so I will, you know, not uh, worry too much about, you know, making the right choices because I know, you know, and in, in the future I'll be able to kind of make up for it. That's what I think. Um, I, I try to, I, that doesn't mean I just eschew prospects at all, like totally. Like I was thinking about this as I took Caminero in the third round um, and I was worried as I, as we we're going through the draft that like, did, was that a, a big mistake? And like, is that going to hurt me moving forward? And I said, well, what if I swapped that for Manny Machado who Matt Eddy took uh, in the sixth round? And my pro- my projection goes up substantially. So I guess what I'm trying to say is like, you may take Caminero, you may take a prospect and think that, you know, it's not helping your chances this year, but of course you can flip it. Like you said, it's currency. I can trade Caminero for Manny Machado possibly and maybe win the league. So you don't want to just leave prospects to the end and then, you know, backfill. You want to have guys at their value, like Jesse was saying with Jackson Churio, yeah, you sure. know, you, you can't let them fall because you, you want someone who the league is going to value. So you kind of have to weigh as well. You have to kind of weigh the, per, the perceived value um, and who you think may get helium and who, who you know, who you are maybe souring on, but people still like. You got to always kind of understand the market for the players you have or the players in the league um, and kind of, you know, buy low, sell high kind of idea. So, you know, it, it I, I default to not worrying too much about prospects, but I'm always, always considering what their value is uh, from the, the player pool. And I threw uh, I threw the top eleven picks uh, into uh, the chat here, so you can take a look at what they are. There's a little note there um, with like Yamamoto as to whether you want to consider him a prospect or not. Some leagues would, some leagues don't. Really, kind of depends on the setup and the rules in your league. Um, but I think it it puts into perspective. You look at the top prospects who go here. Um, really, I would say the only guy who's probably not going to contribute this year at the major league level is either Skeens or with 11 Job. Um, you know, Cruz, obviously maybe there's some questions there as well. Um, but overall it's pretty close to the majors prospects. And even with the guys that, you know, maybe you don't see a significant amount of, of work at the major league level this year, there are probably players who are going to see close to a full season of work in 2025. Um, so you're not waiting all that long, obviously, with players like that. And there's certainly upside that, you know, Skeens or Job blows through expectations, Cruz runs through expectations, and all of a sudden they're in the major leagues in June or July. Um, prospects are coming up much earlier than they used to, and the numbers are backing it up. And then the prospect incentive has only pushed that even further because there's not an incentive to keep these guys in the minor leagues any longer. Um, so I think that's, you know, an interesting component of it. We don't have to go through you know, the entire rundown of, you know, all 29 prospects taken. Um, were there any ones that you were sort of surprised by within this 29 uh, that they were 
one of the earlier prospects to go. Um, I know we have Parker Meadows considered a prospect here. He went 22nd to Shelly, um, 197 overall. That's kind of in line with where Meadows is going in a lot of startups at this point. It's because he probably is going to be the leadoff hitter and the center fielder for the Tigers this year. Yeah, no, I, I thought that was solid value on Parker Meadows. He said leadoff, he's going to be hitting in front of you know some pretty good hitters at the top of half of the lineup. Could be pretty solid. And he's shown that 2020 upside. Like I've been scooping him up in redraft everywhere I can because his ADP was like you know 300. I think it's pushed up a little bit, like 275 or so now. But I think that's still great value. But you know, honestly, there wasn't a ton of big surprises here. I mean, it, it's pretty. I won't say chalk, but there wasn't anybody that was picked super early that I was like, oh wow, that was really high. Mm-hmm. Or, or it maybe might have been high in for my own rankings, but I know that person that took that player is much higher. Like this first one pops in my mind. I know James is insanely high in Xavier Isaac and he got that one, right. He was kind of high on him when not many others were last year after the draft. So um, I am kind of surprised that, you know, maybe, maybe that James Wood fell as far as he did. Uh, he fell to 220. And I thought maybe he'd go 50 picks earlier than that. Um, but outside of that, I think, I think it was actually pretty, pretty chalking. But I guess the one thing I will say, I am maybe surprised that Langford and Holiday didn't actually go a little higher, like maybe inside the top 20 or so, because mm. I've seen them go that high uh, yeah. in other drafts that we've done, whether it be real or, or mock drafts. So, you know, maybe the overall numbers for some of these guys were a little low, but the order, you know, not really that surprising. How about for you, Jesse? Uh, any surprises, anyone that jumped out to you? Um, the one that jumped out to me was that uh, Jet Williams went above walker jenkins but at the same time i think in an lbp league there's probably a case for it he's a little bit closer um but jenkins for me all day (laughs) yeah i thought that jet was a bit high um as well i thought both imanaga and young ho lee which i know ross is very high on both of them i thought they were both way too high in this type of format in a 12 team format neither of them really have the type of upside you should be chasing that high in my mind. I really love Imanaga too. You know, I bring him uh, just outside my top 200 for like a 15 team league. So I do really like him, but in a 12 team league, I wouldn't take him probably in the top 250 just because of his profile. You know, I, you're going to hear a lot of people say he's like a four or five starter. And yeah, that may be what he profiles a little bit as as a major leaguer, but I think there's a lot more upside there than what's typical for his type of arm. I mean, I kind of feel like he's Nestor Cortez with even maybe a little more upside. And Nestor Cortez had obviously a fantastic 2022. And, you know, if Imanaga did something like that, would that really surprise a lot of people? I mean, I don't, it wouldn't for me, to be honest. I, I really do think he's, he's really good. So why, I don't know why I'm necessarily bashing these picks because I, <laughs> I have obviously like Imanaga, but I do think it's a little early for him. But yeah, Lee, for example, I just don't think there's going to be a lot of fantasy impact in terms of he's basically Luis Arise um, 2.0 in a lot of ways. Uh, He puts everything on the ground um, near 60% ground ball rate in the KBO last year. Uh, He's always put everything on the ground throughout his career. You know, his home park's not going to do him any favors in terms of over the fence power. I don't think he's going to hit 10 home runs. I don't think he's going to steal 10 bases. He's only stolen like what 10 total in the last two years. I just don't think he's going to provide power or speed. He'll give you average, but I also 
question what type of OBP boost he's going to receive because yeah. you know obviously Luis Arise he plays down in OBP formats uh, mm-hmm. just because he's a high average player. High average players they play down OBP. I think Lee gets dinged in OBP. So I'm I think he's I don't even know if he's necessarily going to be Stephen Kwan type of production, which is mm-hmm. where I'm where I'm a little concerned. I would not take Lee this high in a 12 teamer in this at this yeah. league size. In a deeper format, these players are fantastic. I love them, but in shallower formats, the impact is just not high enough for me to try and take this early. What are your thoughts on that, Dylan? When it comes to Lee, um, I've kind of been sort of on that side of things. Where yeah, it's a plug and play major leaguer kind of in some FYPDs outside the top 10. Um, so I see the value there, especially if you are competing, et cetera. Um, you know, they're outfielder. Outfielders are always in demand in five outfielder leagues that are a little bit deeper. Um, but he's not super exciting. And certainly, you know, there's a big difference between if he had, you know, it was in Cincinnati, for example, we talked about that with LED earlier, Eric had brought it up, versus playing in San Francisco as sort of a gap-to-gap guy. I like Jung Hoo Lee. I mean, I like Stephen Kwan, and it's funny because Ross also took Stephen Kwan. Um, high WRC plus guys. I mean, the Giants said he's going to lead off, basically. So, I mean, he's going to get some counting stats, theoretically. Um, these guys are typically undervalued. Like Stephen Kwan, I can't remember the exact number, but in 15-team uh, leagues, not last year, but the year before, he was the 15th uh, best outfielder in a batting average league. Like, he added that much value. Um, so and Araya adds positive value too, and I know that. I mean, everything Jesse said makes sense. If you're not going to get home runs, not going to get stolen bases, you know, you have to hit with the bat, and you know, it kind of puts your roster in a bad spot because you have to make up for it. Um, but I kind of I like it. I kind of think there's a, a bit of a market inefficiency there. Um, I also agree with Jesse about Imanaga. If if you look at the bat, um, the bat really does not like the uh, Yamamoto, Imanaga, even Junghu Lee. Um, and it really dings Imanaga on the on the projection. So if you go to ATC, which I think uses the bat as well, um, Imanaga doesn't project well. But if you go just to Steamer and Zips, both of them have him projected to be like Justin Steele, like a 1.2 whip and, you know, just around 4.0 ERA. Like, uh, I think there is some sneaky value there um, with, mm-hmm. with Imanaga, especially if you're in a win now in an FYPD. You know, I would take him probably over Jung-Hoo Lee. To be honest, just because I Agreed. think the impact will be, you know, be more um, for this year. I think both um, their values are really nice in redraft. Yeah, They're very nice values yeah. in redraft. I would totally like smash smash the draft button at their current ADPs. And I think in, for this for this draft in general, I think I think we all kind of pushed prospects down. Yeah, I had like James Wood was on my list for a while. He was at the top, yeah. and Tiedemann was at the top for a while. Yeah. And Painter was too. And I just like ah, I guess I kept chasing the projections. So I like oh wait one more round, one more round, one more round. It just kept going down. I think it's because we're all good at, at ah. prospect hunting, and so we can, you know, we can wait. I think that's yeah. sort of the sentiment. But uh, it's just funny. I just, I remember like, I should take James Wood here. I should take Tiedemann here. I'm like, ah, I can't. Jeff will pass me in the projections. I was totally, <laughs> I, I was totally ready to take Tiedemann and then realized that you'd taken him like two rounds ago. And the funny <laughs> thing is like, I had sat on that for probably four rounds. And at one point I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to see where he goes. <laughs> I'm going to see who else takes him and how far he falls beyond where I would take him uh, with my goofy Ricky Tiedemann value. But anyway, Eric, um, 
any final thoughts here as we sort of wrap up the show uh, in terms of, you know, this season, stuff you're working on, um, and, you know, maybe things you're seeing out there in the wild in your own drafts, your own leagues? Man, I'm in like eight different drafts right now between DCs and a couple of best balls, another dynasty mock draft with the uh, folks over at Roto World. So a uh, lot, lot of a lot of drafts right now. And it's, it's fun, though. I, I love doing mock drafts. And, yeah, you, you can get tired of them. When I get to March, you know, mid to late March, I'm like, all right, I'm just done with, with mock drafts. But I do get enjoyment out of these. I do find them valuable because it's a way to, you know, test your own rankings try different strategies because obviously we're always like, I think it was Dylan looking for that edge any way you can get it, especially where you're in a league, you know, like Highlander, you know, other leagues that we're in with so many sharp minds, like you have to be on top of your game. So even if it takes, takes a mock draft to try out a strategy that you maybe even think of, oh, what if I try this or, you know, where does this, this player fall? So I, I get value out of these uh, to try to hone my own, my own rankings, put those up to the test and, just to better myself as a player. So it's always fun to do these for sure. Absolutely. Jesse, any sort of final thoughts? What sort of stuff are you working over at uh, Baseball Prospectus? Yeah, we're uh, churning through the positional series at Baseball Prospectus. I know you all already are done yours at Baseball America, but we always start ours after January 15th. I've been trying, I want to get it done earlier because uh, it's really tough, tough time mm-hmm. timeline here. Mm-hmm. Try and get all done and then try and cover spring, early yes. spring information. But, uh, yeah, we're doing that. We released our 101, our Dynasty 101, earlier this week. Uh, I released my top 112 first-year player draft rankings uh, last week. Uh, even though It was a little late. I wanted to release it, like, on January 16th or 17th, but... You know how it is. <laughs> Time got the best of me. Uh, so a lot of work coming out. Uh, and I obviously prepping for drafts. I'm excited to go down to First Pitch Florida, see you yeah. all. That'll be fun. Dylan, are you getting down there? Boo. I'm not. I'm not. Boo. Boo you. You should get down there sometime. Um, you'd be welcome 100%. I'm sure you get into one of those labor drafts and uh, use all your spreadsheets and destroy us all. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm excited. I'm excited about that. That'll be fun. I'm excited for labor, that AL labor. I finished second last year uh, to Jason Collette, and I hope to take it down this year. Yeah, I uh, I finished dead last last year in NL labor. I was terrible. It was it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> I got hit with so many injuries like right off the bat, and then uh, there's just not a whole lot in the waiver wire to go after in, in those leagues. So that was uh, – that was tough. It was like me and Derek Hardy battling out for last. So I felt at least kind of like comfortable with the fact that Derek Hardy, who was a seasoned veteran who had won that league, was also having a bad year. So I don't know. I guess like don't don't bid $15 on Brendan Donovan this year, Jeff. <laughs> You'll be in better shape. Or mental, actually mental bid up on Corbin Carroll. I was like in on him and then like just pulled the plug the last minute like at 23 or $24 and I should have kept going. Well, hey, I bought Jacob DeGrom, so that could happen. I still finished second, but, you know. (laughs) So it didn't happen. It was a lot more than just one pick with me. It's like my entire team is terrible. Uh, But (laughs) it happens, and that's why Dynasty is beautiful. You can have a rough season, and you can pivot pivot very easily and still get a lot of value and enjoyment out of your season rather than having to try and claw your way out of the bottom in redraft. I will uh, 
I will hopefully be back in a, a better position uh, this year, but we'll see. There you go. You know, got to go through the annual player pool. Dylan, any closing thoughts before we wrap the sucker up? No, just uh, really uh, thankful you guys are in this mock. I, I love the mocks too, Eric. Like you said, it's like mm. we're in the 20th round and you just get a good sense of who the player value is. Like Max Scherzer hasn't been taken. Byron Buxton hasn't been taken. I'm just picking two guys that yeah. were in my queue at one point. Um, so you just kind of get a sense for your like the real leagues that you're in, like what the, the market is on these guys. And then when we publish this, you know, this will also move the market a bit because we'll see all these expert minds and where they're taking people and how they uh how they pick their rosters and who's valued a lot and who's not and i have my fypds and my two big dynasty leagues coming up next week so i'm kind of prepping for that um not really prepping just getting ready for it and then uh yeah working on uh on tweaking robo scout trying to get it even better than it was last year i, I wasn't as happy as uh, in previous years um i just want to be a bit better on that we talked about that offline and then uh yeah working on uh prepping for nfbc still haven't decided if i'm coming back in but uh i think i will <laughs> i will note that i love the rose scout that incorporates data love it appreciate that i love that um yeah but i am on the clock i guess we should end with this <laughs> my pick i'm taking chase no i'm, just... <laughs> yeah, I'm not there. taking chase a lot i will take a prospect because why not um my first prospect i will take colson montgomery who there you go that was one that was in my queue for quite a while who is very yeah. nice in obp formats in my mind i think he projects quite well uh and of course eric or of course uh james just selected right before eric right after me and he took Chased a lot. <laughs> Are you and I'm on the clock, man. I'll, I was fully. Uh, I had to. I had to pivot. I was fully going to take Chase a lot there. So thank you for that, James Anderson. Well, I think that means that I'm now on the clock. So uh, I'm going to go into the draft room now and, and make my pick, and we're going to wrap up here. But I want to thank Jesse Roach of Baseball Prospectus, Eric Cross of Roto Baller and FTN Fantasy, of course, my co-host Dylan White. All of you out there that uh, tuned in and watched, all of our subscribers, of course, and check Baseball America. We got all of our fantasy rankings up there, all our positional rankings. We have our top 700 up. Uh, we have a couple different top 100s for fantasy. We did our just straight one last week, and then this week Dylan released his Robo Scout top 100, which is the model based one, which is really interesting. So go check all that out. A lot of content out there, and uh, happy drafting! Thanks for tuning in, guys. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.